The idea of technology turning on its creators is a trope that's been visited many times in both horror and sci-fi. The Matrix, The Terminator, Westworld, Ex Machina, I could go on. But I don't think it's ever been portrayed in such a wacky way as it is in 1986's Maximum Overdrive. A Stephen King film written and directed by King himself, but arguably one of the worst adaptations of his work ever made. A massive bomb upon its release, Maximum Overdrive has found new life as a cult hit, and it's the subject of today's episode. I'm Connor Zagari, Austin Johnson, and you are listening to Filmgasm. Crank up the ACDC and shift that big rig into gear. It's Wednesday again, listeners, and that means it's time for Filmgasm. As we continue into October, we once again dive into the mind of master of horror Stephen King, though this time it's a mind riddled with cocaine and bad decisions. Last week's Poltergeist episode was, I think, a a big success. What do you think? Hell yeah. Uh... Caleb might think differently. We have stirred up some controversy (laughs) among the Filmgasm team. There seems to be a debate over who should be credited with directing the film. Of course, and that's going to be a a conversation forever. Toby Hooper or Steven Spielberg? Austin and I are both in the Spielberg camp, while Filmgasm contributors Caleb Leger and Josh Allred are big-time Hooper supporters. What are we to do, listeners? Josh Josh was a little less... uh, Less clear about his his. Uh... Yeah, but I, I I would guess. Yes, yeah, for yeah. sure. Josh, if I'm wrong, just let me know. Yeah, you know where to find us. So, we'd like to hear your thoughts on the matter. Hooper or Spielberg? Who made Poltergeist the classic it is today? Leave your comments on the Filmgasm Facebook page, <laughs> Instagram, Twitter, or you can shoot us an email at filmgasm at gmail.com. We're very interested in what everyone has to say, if anyone says anything. <laughs> That's the this could backfire like... on me so bad, but I don't care. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, find find Connor on Facebook. To send him all the all those instant messages. You know. Oh of, boy, yeah. this is gonna be fun. Hopefully, <laughs> this month on Weird Shit Wednesday, episode thirty-five. For those of you keeping track at home, we'll tackle the career of horror legend Vincent Price. Oh yeah, the man behind the creepy narration at the end of Michael Jackson's Thriller, among other films like House of Wax, The Fly. The Tingler, The Last Man on Earth, and House on Haunted Hill. Who was Vincent Price? Where did he come from? How did he become the face of the horror genre in the 1950s and 1960s? We'll answer all these questions and more as we dive into his films. Don't miss it. Oh uh, yeah, I can't wait for that. It's going to be it's going to be a trip down an era that we have not been down before. We have not. So, I'm really excited. Very fascinated. Before we get into Maximum Overdrive, it's time for the rewind. We'll take a look at past episodes and see if there's any new info. I've got one interesting update on Pet Cemetery and a couple of errors to fix for last week's E.T. bonus episode. First up, let's go into Pet Cemetery. According to a recent article from comicbook.com, the new Pet Cemetery remake may have been made partly to keep the film rights out of Stephen King's hands. A copyright amendment from the 1980s is now allowing writers to take back control of their work so long as the rights are at least 35 years old. We saw this happen with the Elm Street franchise recently. They reverted back to Wes Craven's estate. And apparently this was supposed to happen with Pet Cemetery. The novel was published in 1983, which means that in 2018, King became eligible to terminate the film rights. Paramount may have been faced with a two-year time limit to make another movie. 
as the studio has a two-year window between when the writer gives notice and the studio loses the rights. This would explain the film's rushed and uneven tone, the inexplicable changes to the source material, and why King's suggestions were ignored. I still haven't even seen that. It was horrible. I'm not going to watch it. What do you think about this? Uh, (laughs) Yeah, uh, I I heard you you told me right away, the film is not good. Yeah. Uh, right away, and, and this kind of stuff is this is the information and knowledge that uh, Hollywood does not want you to have um, as a movie fan. But you just got you just got to go on the internet and research. It, it's really sad. Yeah, uh, that you, you have to rush art essentially. That's that's not that's not cool. Yeah, like that old toy fixer in Toy Story Two said, "You can't rush art." <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a great film. Finally, in E.T., uh, I made some statements that were not entirely true. My apologies. The bonuses are much more carefree and improvisational than the weekly ones, so we just say whatever pops into our head for the most part. So, Rick Baker was not the special effects guy behind E.T. Oh, I looked this up, too. Yeah. yeah. Shit, I forgot. And E.T. was the fourth Oscar win for John Williams, not the third. Who, up to that point... Whoa. Had, yeah. <laughs> that's important to me. I need, I need to say this. Up to that point, he had won Best Original Score for Fiddler on the Roof, Jaws and Star Wars okay. before he won for ET. So okay. that's my bad. I don't think it really mattered, but it was gonna bug. It was gonna bug me. <laughs> so let's go in to Stephen King's truck movie. <laughs> Maximum Overdrive began life as the short story Trucks by Stephen King. It tells the story of a group of strangers trapped in a truck stop diner after something causes the semi trucks to other big vehicles to come to life and attack people. The story was first published in Cavalier Magazine in 1973 and was later included in King's first short story collection, Night Shift, in 1978. Uh, I've read Trucks. Yeah, you just you just let me borrow it. Yeah. That was really cool. Really cool book. Uh, I'm definitely going to borrow it again. Yeah. Check out more of that shit. It's cool. Night Shift is his best collection. Yeah, King, King you know, we, he, he's really good at uh, churning out, like, 20-page stretches, and it's just like, holy fuck, this guy's, like, clearly just on a... Like, he just did it in one sitting, you know, just... It's amazing what he can do with so little. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It's It's fucking fantastic storytelling. And these were stories that King was writing just to pay the rent. He was selling these to magazines for, like, maybe a hundred bucks, see if that. Yeah. And he was working on a laundromat, and he was just trying to be a writer, but, you know, using his skills to make ends meet. Yeah. And those stories all got collected in Night Shift, and now they're some of his most celebrated work. I love that. Yeah, and uh, just because it's not a, you know, giant giant book that's 800 pages doesn't mean it can't be adapted into something really cool on the screen. Yeah. So, that's great. Absolutely. Power of storytelling. (laughs) The story was first adapted in 1986 as Maximum Overdrive, the only film that Stephen King would direct himself. In a 2002 interview, King stated that while on set, he was, quote, coked out of his mind all through its production, and he really didn't know what he was doing. King had a massive coke habit through most of the 80s. You can fucking tell in that trailer. <laughs> Jesus. He stated that there's a number of books he does not remember writing at all due to his addiction. Notably Cujo, The Tommy Knockers, and The Running Man. All of those were weekend coke-fueled binges that he has zero memory of. And I've read two of them, and the two that I read were fucking great. Cujo and The Running Man, great books. Hell yeah. I tried to read The Tommy Knockers, and I couldn't get into it. So, maybe... The Coke is two out of three. <laughs> Tommy Knockers, what a great name. I didn't get far enough to find out what that meant. 
He probably didn't give. <laughs> yeah. So that's something to do with like aliens in this woman's backyard are causing weird shit to happen in this town. I don't know. They made a miniseries with Jimmy Smiths. We'll get to that eventually. <laughs> the film stars Emilio Estevez. The Mighty Duck Man. Star of 80s classics like The Breakfast Club, Repo Man, and Young Guns. As well as the 90s cult trilogy, The Mighty Ducks. Yes, Gordon Bombay, dude. <laughs> My god, you haven't even seen those, have you? I have you? not seen those yet. Well, one day. <laughs> one day, film guys and uh, followers will... We'll dig into the Mighty Ducks. Mighty Ducks. I remember the uh, the cartoon series from the 90s. Oh, hell with, yeah. With, like, the superhero Ducks hockey yes, team. Yes, What the fuck was that? That was awesome. It's <laughs> badass. Real Ducks. I watched that as a kid, and when I found out the mo- there were movies, I was like, oh, cool. But then I realized, oh, they're not superheroes. It's, like, it's a hockey team. It's, like, real hockey, yeah. <laughs> I was a little bummed out. Oh, dude, they're so good, man. Oh. One, of my, one of my favorite trilogies of all time. <laughs> In this film, Estevez plays Bill Robinson, a parolee working at a truck stop who becomes the de facto leader of the survivors there. Joining him is Pat Hingle as Hendershot, the piece of shit who owns the truck stop and calls everybody Bubba. <laughs> you may remember Hingle as Commissioner Gordon in the Burton Batman films and Woo! the Schumacher Batman films. Oh, yeah. Laura Harrington plays Brett, a hitchhiker who ends up sleeping with Bill. You may remember her from such films as The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai, The Devil's Advocate, and What's <coughs> Eating Gilbert Grape. Voice actress Yeardley Smith plays Connie, a newlywed who ends up at the truck stop with her new husband, Kurt, played by John Short. Yeardley Smith has one of the most recognizable voices in pop culture, as she has been the voice of Lisa Simpson on The Simpsons since 1989. My favorite Simpsons character. Lisa, really? I love Lisa. Yeah, she's just fucking smart. She's like, like, like miles ahead of everybody else <laughs> in the show. Uh, I love that. She's kind of like Stewie, you know, where you're just like a little bit... And Brian, yeah. I guess, in Family Guy, but yeah, I like those characters. Right on. It's been a long time since I watched The Simpsons. So good. I do love it's it. Still, it still stands, and it's like they predicted some stuff, too, that was yeah. going to happen in pop, like in that was pop culture. It's really, really amazing. Well, you do like, what, 800 episodes? Eventually, it's you're going to start happen. overlapping. They're going to hit, yeah. <laughs> Fun fact, <coughs> Maximum Overdrive is one of the earliest films of Giancarlo Esposito, Woo! who plays the young man who is electrocuted by the arcade. Esposito became a TV icon with his performance as meth kingpin Gustavo Fring on AMC's Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Two of our fucking favorite shows ever. And and one of our favorite characters, too. Yes. My God, Gustavo is the man. <laughs> one of the best villains Woo! in pop culture history. One of the smartest villains. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh yeah. Thought of everything. <laughs> Until season four. <laughs> and Breaking Bad fans can look forward to our inevitable yeah. bonus on El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie coming out this Friday. Yeah, we'll, save, we'll save our thoughts and all that yeah. for, for that, because it's going to be a... That's going to be a hell of an episode. It's going to be a hefty one. Oh yeah. yeah. So, Maximum Overdrive was a huge bomb. Really? And it was critically panned across the board. It grossed only $7 million on a $10 million budget. It has an IMDb score of 5.5 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 17%. Oh. It was nominated for two Razzie Awards for Worst Director and Worst Actor for Emilio Estevez. And the Razzies are the Oscars for bad movies. Yeah, those are tough. Yeah. Because, like, The Shining was up for... I still can't believe that. <laughs> those, are, those are weird. Yeah, you never know what's going to... Catch on later. Yeah. Yeah. But one thing that cannot be knocked down is this film's soundtrack, 
by legendary Australian rock band ACDC. Oh, the best part of the film. Oh my god. So awesome. I had this CD way before I even knew about this movie. (laughs) ACDC's 1986 album, Who Made Who, was the official soundtrack to Maximum Overdrive. At the time, ACDC never licensed their music for movies, and they only agreed to do it for Stephen King after they met him, and he belted out a rendition of their song, Ain't No Fun Waiting Around to Be a Millionaire, off the Dirty Deeds album. (laughs) They agreed to do the soundtrack because they could tell King was a massive fan of their music. The album is nine songs long, contains several new compositions, including the instrumental instrumental tracks DT and Chase the Ace, as well as the title track Who Made Who, which we will play a snippet of at the end of this podcast. Oh yeah. The remaining songs were taken from other albums, Hell's Bells and You Shook Me All Night Long from Bag and Black, Sink the Pink and Shake Your Foundations from Fly on the Wall, For Those About to Rock We Salute You from the album of the same name, and Ride On from Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap, the only song on the album from the Bon Scott era. Ooh. Who Made Who, the song, was their biggest single in years, reaching number 16 on the UK charts and number 33 on the US charts. The album has sold 5 million copies in the US. Are you a fan of ACDC? Fuck yes, I am. They're my all-time <laughs> favorite band. First concert I ever went to when I was 13, Black Ice Tour. At the Verizon Center in Washington, D.C. <laughs> Blew my fucking mind. Changed my life. Like, yeah, I'm a fan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I so love, cool. I've got every one of their CDs. Uh, I've got a few of their stuff on vinyl. I, I'm a yeah, massive fan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I could tell. <laughs> That's amazing. I went into more detail on that than I did about the movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's my, it's my favorite part of the movie. Yeah, I love ACDC as well. I, I, I don't think I share the same <laughs> shame, same uh, obsession. Well, most, most but we all don't. have we all have our you know we yeah, all got our band. Yeah, <laughs> or, or, or we both have a few, I think. But oh yeah, but ACDC will always be on top for me. <sighs> they reign supreme. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, yeah. For me, my mine mine would be like Iron Maiden. That's the first band I got to see as well. So I think that's a big part of it. Yeah, man. When you see someone live, you're like, oh my god. Yeah. It just changes you when you're like a kid, you know? Yeah. I didn't know music could be that fucking amazing. Oh, no. Oh. Well, it's so loud, yeah. <laughs> the, sheer, the sheer sound, the the power of the sound blows you away when you're, you know, how old were you? 13. Yeah, I was, I was 14 when I saw Iron Maiden, yeah, so. It, take, it sweeps you off your feet. <laughs> <laughs> a few That's years for sure. ago, for Christmas, my mom tracked down the original concert poster from that tour. Oh, that's really got cool. Got it for me. It's hanging up over there. Oh, man. How about that? <laughs> yeah. Ladies and gents. Amazing. So, let's get into the story of Maximum Overdrive, the movie that proved to everyone the only person who really shouldn't be allowed to direct Stephen King's work is Stephen King. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, we begin with some narration saying that Earth is going to be in the tail of a comet for about eight days, and anything could happen. Days. And what happens is machines across the world start coming to life and attacking people. It begins with an ATM calling a customer an asshole. And that customer is Stephen King. Classic. Hey, that machine just called me an asshole. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Asshole, 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 asshole. <laughs> I love the bank thing just says fuck Yeah, you. yeah. <laughs> so cool. Does that really explain why the machines got turned into assholes? You know, homicidal assholes. But, you know, who, who cares? It's fun. Oh, man. So, a bridge uh, 
raises, causing all the vehicles on the bridge to fall in the river or start crashing around. There's an ACDC van in there. <laughs> yep, yep. And chaos starts, you know, erupting across the entire world as machines come to life. Cue credits with Who Made Who blowing us away. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. Lots of awesome, <laughs> awesome shots as well of trucks driving on highways. And yeah. It's great. There's a lot of instrumental tracks that didn't make it onto the album that have yet to be released. Hmm. That are only available to be heard in the movie. Yeah, when you're actually watching. Which sucks, is that so... That guitar is flawless. I want that. Music. Yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> Angus. But, uh... So our focus is a roadside truck stop outside Wilmington, North Carolina. And... An, uh, one of the employees, Duncan, is blinded by gas spraying out into his eyes. Which actually happened to me when I was a kid. That really? fucking hurt. I was... Yeah. What the hell? I was about... Eight or nine years old, and uh, I pumped the gas for my dad. I didn't know what to do, so I just hold, held on to the thing, and gas exploded out and blinded me for a bit. I had to go to the hospital and get my eyes flushed out. I thought my eyes were melting. It was the worst pain I've ever felt in my life. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. So, that uh, reminded me of that in my life, which was nice. Not a, not a fun time, huh? No. No, it was not. Uh... A waitress gets her arm almost sliced off by an electric knife, and that ugh, that was grisly. And of course, the arcade in the back room electrocutes a guy. Yeah, yeah. awesome, <laughs> so cool. He starts grabbing all the cigarettes. And the yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> There's mayhem. Oh, hilarious! And we meet Bill Robinson, who works the fry cook at this truck stop. He's an ex-con. Bubba is taking. Uh, Kind of, you know, taking advantage of him, saying, you know, I'm gonna, I want you to clock in for nine hours, but I'm only paying you for eight. Piece of shit. It's not like Bill can do anything about that. He's an ex-con. Yeah. So, Bill starts thinking, something's fishy here. Something's not right. And at a Little League game, we see a vending machine kill, kill the coach, <laughs> which is so fucking funny. It's just, like... Shoots him right in the balls and then gets him right in the skull. And that's a fucking bad wound, man. Yes. That is... I couldn't believe it. It looked talk like a gunshot. A, talk about a shitty night. That was hilarious. Straight to the nuts and then straight to the dome. No. No thanks. And then they just keep, the machine keeps firing soda cans at the Little League players. Yeah, Knocks yeah. out a couple of them. And then a fucking... I want to do that. I want to go throw cans at fucking kids playing baseball. <laughs> Why? I don't know. I, I was kidding. <laughs> Maybe empty cans so they don't hurt too bad. Because <laughs> that would hurt like shit, man. That yeah. Like hell. You, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> apparently you shoot those fast enough, you kill a man. Yeah, yeah, As yeah. we learned in the movie. I don't think I can uh, quite uh, yeah. throw it that, that quickly. Probably not. Uh, I, mine would struggle to make it that far. So. <laughs> well, oh, man. then we get a goddamn steamroller comes out of nowhere and runs over a child. Like, it, damn. It's... It's grisly, and I'd say it kind of changes the tone of the movie, or or at least for a moment. It's like, holy shit. <laughs> for a uh, moment, yeah. For a moment, yeah. <laughs> this ma- this, there are so many tonal shifts in this movie, it's ridiculous. Yeah, you never quite know what yeah what the, <laughs> what the theme here is. <laughs> One kid named Deke, he's the son of the guy who got blinded by gas. He gets out of there, escapes on his bike. Then we meet a newlywed couple, Connie and Curtis who stop at a gas station where a brown tow truck almost runs over Kurt, and then they escape in their car, which is odd, because their car never comes to life and tries to kill them. Yeah, no, no. Of course not. It only really happens when it's convenient for the plot. Yeah. 
which is not. I don't want to say it's not good writing because it's Stephen King, exactly. But it's yeah. not. <laughs> it's bad. It's it's bad. There's Stephen King, and then there's coke fueled Stephen King. It's like two different people. Yeah, there's there's a stretch there in the eighties. Yeah. Yeah, man. But then like some of his best work came out of the eighties, so it's tough. I know. <laughs> Cocaine is a hell of a drug. Well, <laughs> you know what I had for breakfast? <laughs> Cocaine. You know what I had for lunch? <laughs> Cocaine. <laughs> God damn. <laughs> uh, so Deke is riding through town. The kid, he's seeing humans and pets just murdered by lawnmowers and chainsaws and hair dryers and just pandemonium. And at the truck stop, we see a big rig with a big old green goblin mask on the grill. And that becomes kind of the bad guy. Of the movie, the Green Goblin truck. Because it has a face. Yeah, it's finally something we can, yeah. It's a toy, like Happy Toys, I think it was called. It's a yeah. toy truck. And uh, it kills Duncan, Deke's dad, and a, a weird Bible salesman who's a total prick. <laughs> Stephen King likes to do stuff like that. Oh, yeah. And then the truck stop gets encircled by giant big rig trucks that all come to life and trap these guys. At yeah. the truck stop, and that's kind of funny. I don't know why they don't just plow through the fucking truck I, I know, stop. I know. Again, this movie takes it takes uh, turns when it's convenient and when it works best, so that the movie can fill out the hour and a half. Connie and Curtis end up at the truck stop, try to pass through the trucks. They get hit. The truck overturns, and Bill and Brett, a hitchhiker who's with the Bible salesman, rushes over to help them out. The trucks attack them, and that's when Hendershot shows up with fucking rocket launcher. Yes. And blows up one of the trucks. What? My favorite part? It's so out of, literally out of left field. It is crazy. Oh, my God. And he just, like, reveals, oh, yeah, I've got an arsenal in the basement. I've been stockpiling weapons for years. <laughs> what the fuck, man? I don't know, dude. <laughs> insane. This movie's ins- it's insane. It's fantastic. I, just as you think, like, oh, it can't get any more, any more weird and wild. Nope. Five minutes later, yeah, here you go. Something crazier. <laughs> Oh, my God. So, Deke arrives at the truck stop later that evening, tries to get in through the sewers, but there's a wire mesh blocking the entrance. What's with Stephen King and sewers? I don't know. Because they're, you know, they're beneath our feet, they're yeah. nasty. The I wonder if he darkness. had an experience in one at some point. He, I think he did. I think that's what inspired it. Okay. He was yeah. walking on a bridge. Well, and you had, like, Shawshank, you know, yeah. he crawls through yeah, sewer. You know, know, in Shawshank on the set, that was all, like, chocolate. So it actually smelled amazing in there. He's like, this is great. I think I'm going to take my time. Tim Robbins takes his time getting through that. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Better than the alternative. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Deke can't make it through the opening. There's a wire mesh blocking the sewer. And then the survivors hear the Bible salesman screaming in a ditch. He's still alive. And Bill and Curtis sneak out to help him. And Deke finds the Bible salesman, and he jumps out and attacks Deke, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, and doesn't make a whole lot of sense no. for his character, right? You know, there's not a lot of character in this movie. No, either. no, it's not really his, an odd duck. Not a strong suit. No. Bill and Curtis rescue Deke, and a truck chases them back into the pipe. The next morning, a bulldozer and uh, kind of a uh, a car with a gun. On the top of it, which is pretty sweet. M60. 
just starts leveling the drug stop. Yeah, like something I was waiting for the yeah. whole time. Fires like, when is that going to happen? No. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And that car uses Morse code to tell the people inside that they need gas, <laughs> which is funny. <laughs> it's like, hey, uh, fill her up. <laughs> or we're going to kill everyone now <laughs> instead of killing everyone later. There's no incentive for the humans to help them out at all. It's kind of hilarious. <laughs> so, Bill is like, all right, let's just fill her up. <laughs> and they yeah. Just, yeah, fill her up, boy. And you got one of the waitresses, I don't remember her name, but she's screaming, we made you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She Classic. starts freaking out. She gets gunned down by the gun truck. And <laughs> they start filling them up. Rob, uh, Bill starts suggesting, you know, hey, we can get out of here. There's an island off the coast. No vehicles permitted. No mm. vehicles, but, you know, they probably still have, like, you know, toasters and yeah. air dryers and shit. Yeah, something. Yeah. What, no, a speedboat's not going to chase you down? But they decide, all right. And during a, one of the, when they were filling them up, Bill grabs a grenade, drops it on the gun truck, blows it up, and then they Bill leads the survivors out of the uh, sewer hatch into the main road. And the trucks level that fucking thing. They destroy the whole truck stop. Finally. The survivors are followed to the docks by the Green Goblin truck, which manages to kill one of the truckers. And Bill destroys the truck with the direct hit from the rocket launcher. Mm-hmm. Which was a very convenient thing that they had, because it's the only thing they had against these trucks. The survivors sail off to safety. Title card explains that two days later, a fucking UFO was destroyed by a Soviet nuclear missile and six days later the earth passes out of the comet's tail and survivors are still alive so was it the comet or was it this fucking ufo that just got thrown in there strange thing to do with a title card it makes no sense why why we uh, had a perfectly reasonable explanation with the comet we didn't need aliens too it just makes it convoluted and confusing jesus steve what the hell were you thinking Uh, he had just done a line of coke and was like guys we got we got put a title card in there man Explaining aliens, know. aliens. Well, he just wrote the, he just read uh, wrote the Tommyknockers, so aliens was on the brain. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! Madness. So that's maximum overdrive in a nutshell. Not a lot of story really to talk about here. It's kind of ridiculous, and you really should just watch it for yourself. To, yeah, yeah. It's that kind of movie. Like we can only say so much. <clears throat> it's at a time. I mean, it's it's very, 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 very eighties. Ooh, yeah. One of the most you know. 80s things you can possibly, you know, it's kind of ACDC soundtrack the whole time. Very true, Bubba. And, uh, <laughs> and you, get, you got you got Emilio, who's he's at just a prime, prime time of his career. Young Emilio. Oh, yeah. The, the mighty duck, man. I swear <laughs> to God. Have you seen Night at the Roxbury? Yes. Yeah, you remember that when they're, like, telling that story about Emilio? It's like, <laughs> Emilio! <laughs> The Mighty Duck Man, I swear to God. So that good. movie was... I hated that movie. It's horrible. That movie's it's, so bad. It's, it's really funny, though, to Oh, me. my God. But it's bad, yeah. It's a, I it's love a Will joke. Ferrell, but come on. Chris Kattan. Oh, my God. SNL movies are so hit or miss. Well, it's like, can you really take this skit and do it for an hour and a half? No, you probably can't. It only... Really, it's like Blues Brothers and Wayne's World are kind of it. I, yeah, I know it's because those are... Carried by serious star power, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, Night of the Roxbury was using Chris Kattan more in like the lead role. It felt like, yeah. And Will Ferrell was just like the dumb brother. Yeah. I can't. 
No thanks. Anyway, yeah. Overdrive comes, you know, in the '80s, and it's it's just a really cool thing to watch because you 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 feel like it's a part of that pop culture, uh, the yeah. '80s pop culture, and it's got got a lot of things in it. And, it. and it is. It's the only one Stephen King directed, so I think you should just see it if you're a King fan. Yeah, uh, just for your own, you know. It is our goal to do every film made from Stephen King's work on this podcast. So we are going to have to do the shit. <laughs> yeah, and there is there's some shit. There's a lot of shit. And here's one of them. But yeah. uh, but we both we both enjoy it because we both actually think it is at times pretty pretty fucking scary. Mm, What's what? scary? Uh yeah, scary's a broad term. I would say. Well, like I don't know what term you'd use. Like uh, surprising, maybe. I don't. I don't know because I was so I was, I was surprised by like the the violence of it. I'd say intense. Intense. Okay. Yeah, it's not scary. It's not like whoa, oh my god. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a broad term. I've I've had a lot of issues with that word because <laughs> what what is really actually scary? I don't know. Uh, but th- this movie definitely gets me on the edge of my seat at times. Yeah, and that's that's it's not boring. Awesome. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The film was remade as a TV movie in 1997. This time, simply titled Trucks. Trucks stars absolutely nobody of note, but it does follow the short story more closely. Amazingly, this film was received even worse than Maximum Overdrive. It has an IMDb score of 3.9. It has no Rotten Tomatoes critic score, but it has an audience score of 30%. Yikes. Maybe this story is just unfilmable. (laughs) Before we finish up here, Filmgasm contributor Caleb Leger gave us his thoughts on the film. Let's take a look at what Caleb thinks of this cult classic. Stephen King is a fantastic writer. There's a reason he is considered a master of horror. He has written some of horror literature's most iconic works, and some have been turned into iconic films of horror cinema. At the height of his fame in the 80s, and also cocaine addiction, King decided he wanted to write and direct his own movie. That's where Maximum Overdrive comes in. The only movie King would ever write and direct. While not exactly great, I can't deny that I enjoyed this movie a whole lot more upon rewatch, and can't deny its amazing amount of fun. Stephen King novels are well known for nail-biting terror and great character development. He spends pages getting into the mindset of the main characters before going into horrific detail about the terror happening to them. You're probably thinking this would translate to his first and only movie, but it doesn't. Like at all. (laughs) The terror just isn't there. Not when kids are killed by flying soda cans. Not when a character is brutally run over. Not even when the hysterical female character is gunned down. But there has to be some character development, right? Also, no. I honestly couldn't tell you any of the characters' names or motivations. Now, why do I still find this an enjoyment to watch? Two things, ACDC and fun. (laughs) Stephen King is a massive fan of the legendary rock band, and it is a constant joy to hear their music throughout the film. As for the fun, King directed this film during his infamous cocaine heyday, check out the trailer for proof, (laughs) fuck yeah, and it's evident across the board. The numerous filmmaking mistakes, or decisions if you will, make for a fun time with Maximum Overdrive. There are so many times you'll spend either scratching your head at what's happening on screen or laughing. Let's be honest. Who really thought this film would go on to become a cult classic? I certainly didn't think much about it upon my first watch. But now, I ended up enjoying it a whole lot more. Almost everything King attempts to do just doesn't work. But that, in turn, is what makes it so much fun to watch. Also, ACDC! Do I really need to go into detail there? So if you're a King fan and want to have a good time with his only directed movie... You can't go wrong with Maximum Overdrive. Just bring some friends along for the fun. Six out of ten. All right. That's better than what he did say. Back in the day when Caleb and I first started Filmgasm, we were just doing reviews. 
he reviewed Maximum Overdrive and he gave it a two. <laughs> and a two? We ragged on him for that big time, so he revisited it. I can't. <laughs> I don't think I've. Have you? Is there any movie that you've given a two? I yes, I've given some ones too. Oh Jesus! Jason goes to hell. The final Friday. I can't imagine. Arguably the it. worst film I've ever seen in my life. The only one I've ever given, and yeah, it deserves that one. Yeah, I don't. I think I gave some twos to some of the Elm Street movies, and uh, but I mean that's a rare, rare score. You mean the movie's got to suck it's something like awful, suck bad, like yeah. just oof. Yeah, I, I consider myself to be kind of harsh, but I, I, I give Overdrive a six, personally. I yeah, think, man. I think it has moments that are, again, um, not you know, not full of terror or anything, but they're they're, um, they're, su- they're surprising, they're abrupt, and they're... This is not a scary movie, but this is a fun movie. Yeah, it's intense. If yeah. you don't take it seriously at all, you're going to enjoy yourself. Yeah. Yeah, you'll have fun. Have yeah. a couple beers with it. Oh, yeah. You'll have a good time. Have some Coke. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Here's some film guys and facts. Watch the trailer. Oh yeah, please look up the trailer. It's the craziest. It's better. It's probably better than the than the movie. The trailer is <laughs> amazing. Stephen King's eyes are going yeah. in different directions. Like is, I didn't know one man. Could I kind of liked it. <laughs> I didn't know one man could take that much cocaine. Like Jesus Christ, it's like coming out of his pores. It's insane. <laughs> I've never. I've never. I, I. I probably wouldn't say even if I did. I've never done cocaine personally. But he makes it very obvious what it looks like to do cocaine. You know what I mean? Yes. I don't need to do it. Just look at Stephen King in the Maximum Overdrive trailer. That's cocaine right there. It's funny. I could just see, like, this is your brain, this is your brain on drugs, and they're just showing that preview. This is your brain. This is your brain on coke. Film guys, in fact, number one. When asked why he hasn't directed a movie since Maximum Overdrive, Stephen King responded, just watch Maximum Overdrive. About a year after the movie was released, the Green Goblin truck was taken to Silent Rick's Towing and Salvage in Wilmington, North Carolina. The jaw, lower teeth, tongue, and tops of the ears were gone, and what was left was burnt severely. John Allison of Wilmington, North Carolina saw it there and purchased it. He later had to sell it, and Tim Shockey of Piketon, Ohio purchased it February 1987. Tim displayed it in his video store, Uncle Jim's Video Land in Waverly, Ohio, for several years until he sold the business. He moved it to his backyard for about 20 years. It was then moved into his garage, and he started restoring it in 2011. Tim spent two years, nights and weekends, restoring the head. As of March 16, 2013, Tim travels across the USA and Canada, taking it to horror and Comic-Cons. Hmm. Sweet. Good, really good on cool. you, Tim. Way to yeah. keep it alive. Good job, Tim. <laughs> Number three. In the film, the Earth passes through the comet's tail on June 19, 1987. On June 19, 1999, King would be hit and nearly killed by a distracted truck driver. The number 19 has been prominent in his writing for most of his career. And that's true. 19 is the cursed number in the Dark Tower series. And it's so strange that on June 19, 1999, King almost got killed. Twelve years later. Unbelievable. Insane. Because the two... Like, the two cursed numbers that mean, like, destiny itself are 19 and 99. Ugh. So, some, that's fucked up. Yeah, something, <laughs> something's really there. weird. Something is there. <laughs> he later bought that truck and just beat it to death with a crowbar. Which is pretty sweet. <laughs> On cocaine. No, not then. He was sober. Like, he's been clean since the Oh, 90s. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, it's actually not funny to kid about that, but... <laughs> it's pretty funny. It was funny for a second. Yeah. <laughs> 
Number four, Stephen King originally wanted to cast Bruce Springsteen in the lead. <laughs> no. <laughs> the boss ain't doing that shit. Dream baby, dream. <laughs> I wonder if he would have also done the soundtrack. <laughs> Get a twofer there. Uh, that would have changed the movie completely. Oh my god. Number five, the logo on the side of the Green Goblin truck leads, Here Comes Another Load of Joy. And I just, I needed to let that be known, because that brought a really strange image to my head. And I <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. What the hell? I don't need to see the Green Goblin <laughs> bringing me another load of joy. <laughs> Here's my load of joy. God. What the fuck? Number six. Oh, and, and Caleb might like this one. It's been long rumored that George Romero actually ghost-directed a large portion of the film while King was seeking treatment for his cocaine addiction. Many fans of Romero's work have noted that this film features many of his distinct camera angles and editing choices. While King has never admitted this up front, he has mentioned that Romero was constantly on set and King would frequently ask him for advice about directing. Hmm. And that's all for Maximum Overdrive. Ridiculous film that's a lot of fun, and I give it a 7. Nice! I like that. You're pushing it up. It passes for you. It passes. I I like I liked it. I will watch this again. <laughs> I I will one day. It might be 10 years from now. One day. I'm not splurging on like the special edition Blu-ray, but I no. if it's on, I'll watch it. Well, yeah, and if I see it at some store for 4 bucks, yeah, yeah. I'm going to snag it. That's a reasonable amount uh, of money to pay for this. <laughs> and the cover, the I would like to point out the DVD like cover. Yeah. Has Stephen King like, you know, <laughs> Yeah. Peer, peering through it's really creepy and that's like one reason I would love to own it is <laughs> because it's like a little it's a, it's a piece of Stephen King history yes it's yes it is the only film you know he directed so <laughs> we kind of like that guy around here so oh yeah fun stuff fun stuff definitely definitely check it out if you have some time I recently started reading his new novel The mm. Institute oh nice interesting th- interesting very cool it's kind of a combo between Firestarter and It I like that so so far, so good. I'm into it. That's cool. So, tell us about this week's bonus episode, Austin. Uh, this week's bonus episode, we're going to be traveling uh, westward to talk about Young Guns. Ah. Which, uh, the reason I chose this one, it correlates with uh, Emilio Estevez is also in it. Uh, not just him, but, you know, you got Charlie Sheen, um, Kiefer Sutherland, you know, who else? Uh, Lou Diamond Phillips. Yeah, I mean, yeah, some 80s legends. So Dermot Mulroney. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun to talk about yeah. that one. Really fun flick. Yeah, I think it was your first time seeing it. It was. Too, I so. watched it last night. and Yeah, yeah, yeah it's going to be fun to talk about. We'll, we'll definitely be, uh, be getting that out to you on uh, Friday, right? Absolutely. Awesome. Friday. So let's take a look at what happened this week in film. First up, a couple sad ones. Actress Diane Carroll has died at 84 from cancer. She was known for her role as Julia Baker on the TV show Julia that ran from 1968 to 1971. And she was nominated for an Oscar for her role in 1974's Claudine. Also, comedian Rip Taylor died at 85 of undisclosed reasons. Taylor was a zany comic known for his wackiness on stage and his countless appearance in, appearances in TV shows from the 60s all the way to the 2000s. He was a constant judge on The Gong Show. He made appearances throughout a shit ton of sketch comedies in the 60s, 70s. And yeah, he was beloved in the in the uh, comedy world. Hmm. Next up, Disney is planning another live-action Inspector Gadget film. What? All that's known at the moment is that SNL writers Mikey Day and Streeter Seidel are attached to the screenplay. Why? What the hell? <laughs> we don't need another Inspector Gadget. Jesus Christ. 
All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna admit I was a big fan of the of the Matthew Broderick film as a kid. As a kid, yeah, me too. I bought it a couple years ago. I watched it again, and I was I couldn't fucking believe it. I was like, this is so bad. Yeah, <laughs> what the fuck, dude? Oh, Inspector yikes. Gadget. So looking forward to seeing that bomb. <laughs> yeah, no, no thanks. We don't need it. We just we don't need it. Does oh, anybody no. really want it? I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> Next up, Sam Raimi has confirmed that he and Bruce Campbell are indeed discussing Evil Dead 4. Now that, however... Yeah. Campbell is attached as producer, and he will regrettably not be starring in it, as Campbell is, quote, tired of Raimi throwing blood at him. Which I get, you know, the dude's hiking up there. Raimi definitively said, quote, there's more Evil Dead coming. So that's pretty cool. I don't know if it's going to be a sequel to the Ash world or the uh, Fede Alvarez sequel. But we are getting more Evil Dead. That's what. That's what's important. Yes, very excited. Mm-hmm. I'm, I watched all three seasons of Ash vs. Evil Dead. I was a committed fan of that. And I will watch anything Bruce Campbell is in. Oh, yeah. Or involved in. He's incredible. Yeah. Next he's, up. He's always staring right at us. That's right. We got, we got our own kind of mini shrine in here from the time where I won uh, San Antonio's last fan standing. And got to shake Bruce Campbell's hand. Got to impress him with my trivia. Got to... Went over an entire auditorium full of nerds. It was the best night of my life. <laughs> so much fun. Fantastic. So. Love you, Bruce. Yeah. Filmgasm loves Bruce Campbell. Absolutely. for sure. The trailer for Richard Jewell was released. Directed by Clint Eastwood and starring Sam Rockwell, Kathy Bates, John Hamm, Olivia Wilde, and Paul Walter Hauser as the titular character Richard Jewell. It's the true story of the 1996 Atlanta Olympics bombing and the man who was wrongly scapegoated as the perpetrator by the media. I think it looks fantastic. Oh, yes. Clint Eastwood continues to fucking shock shock me. And uh, I'm, I'm not not too big of a fan of him uh, in his political beliefs. No. But as a filmmaker, this guy still still has, has some chops. It's amazing, too. Like the mule from last year. Awesome. Awesome, awesome flick. I'm very much looking forward to this because I think I think this is like a you and I have talked about we love like we love true stories yeah but we love this is something that's very specific it's very focused and you can hone in on something that happened not that long ago you know and I knew nothing about this story yeah, yeah it's ah so cool. I've been looking it up and, and I you can't have, fucking believe it and I love the formula of let's put a bunch of talent on the screen and have our our main character be this guy that some people know. Yeah, he was in Black Klansman and uh, I Tanya, um, and he he is to me a wonderful performer. Uh, I totally believe everything in each character he's done so far. I believe believe it a hundred percent. I'm like that's yeah, this guy's in. You know, he's, yeah, he's a character. I cannot wait for that. I think if you surround a guy like that with a bunch of talent, the film's destined to be really good. You know, uh, I think that's I'm very much looking forward to that. Sweet, <laughs> I, I can't wait. Me too. Next up, Disney has announced that the MCU in its current entirety will soon be available as a gigantic box set containing every film from Iron Man to Spider-Man Far From Home. The price? 550 bucks. What the fuck? Do you, what do you think about that? Um, I can't afford that. <laughs> that doesn't add up. No, actually, let's do the math right it, now. I bet it, it's probably cheaper to buy them individually than to, just to buy that. So... 550 divided by... 23. Yeah. So wow. 23 bucks a film. Okay. So that's about what they are. Shit. Like you get them on like Blu-ray or whatever. I stand corrected. But, but no, that's... That, no, I... You're still right because... 
normally when you buy things in bulk, aren't you supposed to take price off? I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't seem right to me. They're not taking anything off. No, because they're still charging around twenty four dollars for each. And it's not like the MCU is done. That's not a complete set. I don't like because you know, Eternals, Blade, Spider Man Three. Like this is not if done. It, if it was, it. I mean, I know people are going to buy it. You know, they're going to yeah. buy it. They're going to spend the five hundred and fifty. But if this was three hundred, three hundred dollars, this would be the hottest like Christmas gift that, you know in the country. Yeah, uh, this be something. Uh, that's something. That's a little bit more affordable. That's more expensive than a game system. Like this is. Yeah, they, that's what I'm saying. Is like, why would I choose that? And like you said, it's not even like over technically. Why would I choose that over something else that costs five hundred fifty dollars? Like rent yeah <laughs> you know that's a that's a that's a lot of money it's a big chunk of change i spent i spent a hundred on the like the blu-ray like whatever special harry potter eight movies for a hundred dollars that's a that's a great deal to me yeah after on blu-ray um and even then i was like jesus this is a lot of movie for discs <laughs> yeah man but oh my god well you know with fucking tax it's gonna be you know 570 that yeah. sucks dude <laughs> I, I, when i buy movies i usually like I, i'm on i'm an under 20 bucks kind of guy that's yeah. Well, I think you and I are even in like the minority of like we we still buy DVDs. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like, you have a massive collection. I have you. You probably have what five hundred at least. I've got around three hundred at this point. Yeah, we're we're there's not a lot of people like us who yeah. collect that stuff still because all the streaming. Yeah, that shit could crash, and I could still watch the movies I like. Well, I like to have them because I like I like. I like objects, like uh, me too. I like tangible things. Yeah, like uh, like books. I, I like to be able to like hold yeah. them. And I, I can like, never get into the Kindle. I like like cover art, and mm-hmm. I like I like I don't know. That stuff is part of it for me. Yeah, it's a big part of it. Yeah. So probably gonna pass on the Super MCU set. Sucks because you definitely would have gained six hundred dollars if it was three hundred. And also, I already own most of them. So, I mean, that's a big part of it. If you're a fan and, of Marvel, you probably already own a few And of Disney is, like, probably just seeing what they can do. They're like, Disney Plus is coming on. They're all going to be on there. Yeah. So. That's enough. Yeah. Th- this, it really is. It's like, oh, well, you can have this if you're really rich, you know. The what? The this fuck? is Disney just saying, like, we what? could put the logo on fucking anything. Yeah, and make it. it. Yeah. They, they could. Yeah. it's That sucks, dude. Because <laughs> I, I would love to have a clean set of those movies. They changed... They changed nice. film history forever. But, but I'm going to wait till it's done. Yeah, yeah. If it ever is done. Yeah, it really doesn't doesn't need to ever end. It doesn't. That's the coolest thing. Yeah. It's like comic books. Like they life, just keep yeah. rebooting the new stories with the same tone. They can do that forever. Mm-hmm. Sweet. So cool. Finally, and I know this is a miniseries, not a film, but this is too crazy not to mention. Brendan Gleeson will be portraying Donald Trump in the upcoming CBS miniseries Higher Loyalty based on the controversial book by former FBI director James Comey, who will be portrayed by Jeff Daniels. What? Uh, yes. I'm watching that. I'm going to give it a go, for sure. Brendan Gleeson as Trump? What the and, fuck? And Jeff Daniels. I love Jeff Daniels. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's that's got my attention, for sure. i got to see this. <laughs> How is he going to play Trump? Like, Is he going to play him as a buffoon? Is He's he going to look a lot like him. This is going to be sure. weird. It's going to be good, I think. <laughs> I, w- I wish it was like a HBO like special or something, you know. But, Me too. But we'll see. Can't you know? You can't win them all. No. Can't can't always buy everything. Yeah. <laughs> That's all for today, listeners. Thanks for tuning in to episode thirty-two. 
As always, if you enjoyed the show or if you fucking hated it, feel free to review the show on iTunes or throw us some comments or suggestions via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or email. Next week, it's time to really get into the Halloween spirit with an anthology film based around Halloween night in which the demon Sam Hain brings the wrath of Halloween and weaves together five tales of interconnected terror in 2007's Trick or Treat. We'll talk about the film and we'll use this opportunity to dig a little bit into the story of Halloween itself. Where did the holidays start? Where did these traditions begin? Let's find out next week on Filmgasm. Oh yeah. Remember to not take technology for granted. And always give big rigs a little extra space on the highway. You never know when it might come to life and try to take your ass down.